This is Writing Excuses, episode 15, uh, Costs and Ramifications of Magic. 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. And I'm Howard. Last week we talked about rules in magic. We <laughs> Now we're going to talk about costs um, as soon as Howard stops chuckling. Um, okay. Sorry. Costs. Costs and ramifications. What am I meaning when I say cost of your magic system? What am I talking about? Dan, what are we talking about? That magic can't be free, essentially. Okay. Or mm-hmm. I, I, I won't say can't, shouldn't be. Shouldn't be, in, yeah. in our point of view. Um, that uh, magic, when you do something in magic, there has to be you know, some kind of equal and opposite reaction. Um, in game systems, that is possibly the expenditure of points. Or, your little mana bar goes yeah, down. Yeah, your mana bar goes down. There, there has to be something equivalent to that, because otherwise magic is too easy. It's not interesting. Okay, it, it comes back to what we talked about last time. We don't, we don't want it to be too easy. We don't want mm-hmm. it to be... Even if you're writing a magic system in which you're not going to explain all the rules, there still needs to be a cost. How can yeah. you make that happen? How can you have a cost when you're not going to be explaining a lot of the rules? Um... Well, you know, Tolkien pulled it off nicely with the ring. Every yeah. time Frodo put on the ring, uh, it it wore on him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The Dark Lord could find him more right. easily. And it brought, was, it brought tension in. It, was, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't so much a, a cost as an immediate consequence. Right. Consequences. That's a yeah. really a bit... You know, Gandalf. We talked about how Gan- Tolkien didn't use Gandalf to solve problems very often. Well, he did once. Gandalf got up and fought the Balrog. You what, shall yeah. not pass. Right. What happened? Mm-hmm. Gandalf died. Even though we don't understand the rules, he threw in a very big cost for using that, and the reader then understood the weight of the magic system, mm-hmm. and he maybe got across to us why Gandalf isn't solving problems very often, because of the cost of it. Yeah, the, the, the basic purpose of cost, if we're going to take this to the most basic right. level, is just conflict. We harp on that almost right. every week. Yeah. You have to have conflict in your story, and if you can create conflict between, I can do this amazing thing, but then am I willing to live with what happens afterwards? You have to weigh those yeah. decisions. That's the cost of your magic. And, and cost um, is much easier to explain in rule-based magic systems. You can come up with a cost. In Mistborn, my cost is if you want to use this magic, you, number one, have to have the genetic ability, um, and number two, you have to have access to the metals that cause the magic to work. It's a material mm-hmm. cost. If you don't have that, magic doesn't work. Um, and you know, one thing I, I like to say a lot about magic is often, for me, what the limitations of a magic are more interesting than what the powers of a magic. What it can do is not as interesting as what it can't do or what stops it from working. Um, any comments on that? Any thoughts? Anytime you build in, uh, build in those limitations, um, in part what you are trying to do is allow the world around your magic system to continue to make sense. Yeah. And I think this, this may uh, jump the gun a little bit into no, ramifications. Yeah. Um, when you have the ability to create, for instance, light right. with a, you know, as a cheap spell, cantrip, uh, no. cantrip mm-hmm. in Dungeons and Dragons, you have now put all of the candle makers on the planet essentially out of business. Yeah. Um, the the rule of thumb that uh, I coughed up today, I, I'm tempted to call it Taylor's first law. Um, oh, let's, let's totally yeah, call it that. Taylor's uh, first law. Uh, wait. You're just copying me. I am. I I obviously am. And it goes like this. If the energy you're getting from your magic is cheaper than letting the donkey do it, Mm -hmm. then your medieval economy just fell apart. How does the donkey make candles? 
The donkey, I know what you're saying. The yeah. donkey walks around uh, in yeah. circles and mm -hmm. churns right. the wax. All, what you're talking about is laws of thermodynamics. Yeah. Um, if you're breaking the laws of thermodynamics, all of a sudden you've got a really big problem that you have to deal with, and that's ramifications. Often, one of the things that magic are uh, that that fantasy books um, get complaints about them, particularly ones that are very rule based. Mm -hmm. Big complaint is that this reads like a video game, and I want our readers to understand how to make a book that has a cool, unique, distinctive magic with lots of rules that doesn't just read like a video game. Because, you know, video games are great, they do certain things, but I don't want to read a book that I feel like I'm reading and then I'm like, oh, his mana bar just went down. I don't want to read that. <laughs> yeah, if, if you can hear the dice rolling in the right. background, and, and, there, and, and, and in early drafts of Mistborn, which yeah. I was privileged to read, there, there were literally a couple of fight scenes where you, you could almost, you know, hear the A-A-B-B yeah. high punch, you know. Mm -hmm. And those were all fixed. I'm, I'm, and, and, you know, hooray for you because you weeded those out of your writing. But yeah. that is something that can happen if you're not careful. Right. So what can we do in fiction to make ramifications work so that it's going to feel real. It's what Howard talked about. You, you, you don't usually play a video game and come out of that saying, oh, wow, I wish I could do this. Not in the way that when you read a fiction and a good magic system, you come out and say, wow, I wish I were, wish I were a Jedi. Mm -hmm. I would, you know, how yeah. can you make that work in your fiction that way? One of the first things I think you need to do is start with, start with breaking it. Okay. Look at the system and, and figure exploit out it. how... Yeah, yeah, exploit it to the extreme and break your world and figure out why it broke. For yeah. instance, if your mages are able to do some sort of limited telekinesis, yeah. why aren't they all earning great money down at the dockyards yeah. unloading boats? Right. If your mages can perform teleportation, why don't they band together in a guild and form the combination post office I'll give you a better one. Airline if you've service. got the ability to just create anything out of thin air or transform something into something else, why aren't you making gold all day? Dungeons and Dragons understood this, it would break the game, and so they make it, they just have the, the gods won't allow, allow you. That's, the, that's their explanation. Well, the other thing but, that Dungeons yeah. and Dragons did in terms of cost is yeah. that anytime you are crafting something wondrous or magical, yeah. there is an experience point cost. Right. If yeah. you want to go out and do this, that's fine, you can do this, but in order to restore your lost experience, you now need to kill more orcs. So I would say, in order to make your, um, your fiction not feel like that, it can't be that quantifiable. Um, I had trouble with this sometimes in, um, in Warbreaker, a book I'm working on, you can read it for free online, stop humming. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't even start to um, go on. Warbreaker, you, they ambushed us with that book, Pimp. We didn't even have time to sing. <laughs> people can draw out p other people's breaths and use them to do things. And I had trouble is every time I wrote down a number of how much breath someone had, it felt like, you know, Dragon Ball Z. Well, his power level's off the chart. He's got this number. <laughs> and as soon as I started throwing in numbers, it started to feel like a video game. And that mm -hmm. worried me. I wanted to stay away from that. How else can we make this feel real? What, rem what, what ramifications do we have to consider? Well, the big point for me, coming from the horror side, um, this, what, the single theme that you can find in everything I've ever written is that defeating a monster will often turn you into a monster as well, or that you have to confront your own monstrousness. And the ramification of that is often completely outside of the magic system and completely internal to the okay. character. You've got it. I think one of the main things fiction can do that other mediums have trouble with, particularly games, is mm -hmm. effect on the character. Exactly. Yeah. You, you can't play, you know, D&D um, &D or uh, Video Final games Fantasy and then yeah. throw some weird 
cost in that's entirely story based rather than. You, I mean, you can. Man, there, actually, there are some, there are some yeah. games doing that. I'm sure that good now, games, but. there are lots of great games, but you know, in one thing fiction can do is fiction can deal with character much better, I think, than games can. Mm -hmm. we, you can get inside someone's perspective and you can see what's happening to them and what using the magic is doing to them. And in fact, I think that actually makes a fight scene much more interesting. You talked about my alimantic fight scenes. Mm -hmm. The way that I made them feel you know, not less like up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, select, start. And let, the way I got rid of that was by having the ramifications on the characters, feeling the characters' emotions, feeling what's going on. It's not just a blow-by-blow. Blow. It's a what is happening to this character as well, it's happening. Well, that's the difference mm -hmm. between fiction and film as well. Yeah. yeah. In, in film, uh, well, in the, the, the big Lord of the Rings battles in mm -hmm. the, the Return of the King, Film. I mean, Return of the King was far longer as a film yeah. proportionally than the book was, and that's because the book dealt with the emotion of what was happening right. on the battle battlefield. Right. Where the filmmakers focused on elephants and yeah. cool elephants. <laughs> yeah. And on that note, I think we should do the tour book of the week. <laughs> Time for the tour book of the week. This week's tour book of the week is Jack: Secret Histories by Paul, F. Paul Wilson. From the New York Times bestselling author, F. Paul Wilson, comes Jack, Secret Histories, starring repairman Jack as a teenager for the first time. Here's where it all began. Jack, Secret Histories, by F. Paul Wilson, new and hardcover from Tor Team. Uh, all right. Dum, 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 ah, dum, dum, yes, elephants. Back we come. Chickabow! Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's my line. Okay, go for it. Um, Chickabow! <laughs> oh, you do it better than I do. All right. So um, how do you come up with interesting costs? I think an interesting cost can really, remember we're talking about magic. How can you make your magic really zing with a, with a good cost? What are some good ones you've seen? I'll just throw out starting here by saying don't use the, the, the age-old ones. I think that the, the first one that everyone occurs, occurs to them, and I've used this before, it can be a side cost, but it makes you tired. The it makes you tired is, is kind of time-tested and time-worn, and it's good to throw in a fatigue cost, but, you know, it's been used so much. Let's do something mm -hmm. more interesting. Let's make something that will... There was a yeah. fight scene between Galactus and Phoenix okay. in uh, one of the Excalibur comics in which Phoenix is about to totally school Galactus. Mm -hmm. And, well, she's got to kill him because Galactus, he destroys worlds. Right. And he explains to her, my power comes from eating that which is about to die. Mm -hmm. Your power comes from the unborn worlds. Mm -hmm. If you use that much power to kill me, you are essentially destroying thousands of unborn planets to pull this off. Basically talks her out of it. Yeah. Wow. I, I think what you hit on there is make your cost personal to the character. Meaning, if mm -hmm. you can have some sort of cost, it, it doesn't always have to be. I mean, but we're, we're talking about ramifications here. One of the reasons that I like Dune, for instance, beautiful magic, wonderful use, and it's, it straddles the line between magic and science, but what makes it work in that book is it deals with the, ma with the religion. The magic in that yeah. is very tied up to the religion mm -hmm. of the world. It's very tied up to the economy. It's therefore very tied up to the military and the politics. It's got its fingers and tendrils around so many different things that this magic system has so many different ramifications that the cost for it is pretty... It, it's, On the surface, it's, Dune looks like uh, medieval feudalism writ yeah. large across the galaxy. Mm -hmm. But as you start looking at these different guilds and what you do, you yeah. realize uh, <laughs> Herbert... Herbert really thought about the donkey. Yeah. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. he, he considered Very all of those ramifications. He broke his yeah. world and he reshaped it around these various abilities. Well, and and you, what you end up with is something that's 
uh, from you know from ten thousand foot view is almost incomprehensible right. compared to the world we live in. Right, mm -hmm. brilliant. Mm -hmm. And and it, the full implications of the magic in Dune often you don't see until a couple books down yeah. the line because they are so based in cultural ramifications. Yeah, you know things that they do in the first book they're always saying, well, I could do this. But then the people might start to worship me. And then three books later, you go, oh, well, that was yeah. obviously a bad idea because yeah. they did. Yeah. Having, having a cost that deals with the ramifications, having it be something that's tied to the economy or tied to the religion of the world will really, I think, make your magic system zing. Mm -hmm. um, and doing something, honestly, original. Come up with something original. Come up with something when, that your cost is something no one's ever thought of before. Um, you know, one of the early, I read it a number of years ago, it was new to me, but the using magic makes you age. It's been used a number of times now, mm -hmm. but the first time I read that, I thought, wow, there's a cost. There's a cost that I've never thought of that you really have to think. Now, the difference between that cost and something like Mistborn is, I think you have to be aware of, if it's something that, that is that difficult, your magic can't be used very often. Yeah. Um, where I wanted to have a magic where I could use it fairly often that's pervasive mm -hmm. in the culture. You know, another thought mm -hmm. is uh, the magic, you know, when you use magic, it makes the people you love age. Yeah, okay, well, there you go. One step further, one step more conflict. You should be writing fantasy, Howard. There you yeah. go. Well, and now, it's, this is just off the top of my head. Obviously, this idea is now in the public yeah. domain. Right. Um, for, a, for a mage who has that ramification, yeah. it is to his advantage to have lots and lots and lots of friends yeah. <laughs> so that the effect of his magic right. isn't felt as he's much. And how much will they like him when they surface. figure out what he's doing? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, ramifications, I think, I often call Sanderson's second law. I haven't come up with a good pithy thing like the donkey you yet. You have the donkey. I, no, the donkey's yours, Howard. Um, Sanderson's second law relates to this concept. Magic doesn't happen in a static white box. Ha magic happens in the world, and you have to consider its effect on everything that's happening in the world if you want to feel real. Otherwise, it's going to feel like a video game. Um, it's going to feel like Dungeons and Dragons, where the magic is just there to be cool, and it makes a great game. We, I don't want to come down on the video game people. Mm -hmm. Video game people and RPG people are doing something very different from what we're doing. Absolutely. We play them and we yeah. love them. We yes. love them. But, um, but if you're going to be doing it in a fiction, you need to be doing things that other systems can't do. And what we can do is we can deal with these ramifications. We can say, candle makers are all put out of business. What happens when the candle makers are out of business? What's the next step? What's the next step after that? What do mm -hmm. you consider after that? Well, we're running out of time. Let's go ahead and do final words. We're going to go to Dan first on this one. You got anything? I was just going to say that you could combine your rules of magic yeah. and put the donkey in a box and then just call it Schrodinger's Law. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Schrodinger's donkey. <laughs> Schrodinger's wizard donkey. Yes. Um, all right. Howard, do you have anything that can top Schrodinger's wizard donkey? <laughs> I, I don't think I can uh, top that. But uh, don't, folks, don't forget, don't forget the donkey rule. Yeah, yeah. And I, I would just say, um, if you want to write good magic, Spend a little bit of extra time considering how your magic ties to the other parts of your world building. Spend a little bit of time asking yourself, what, take, it, take it two or three steps further and say, what's different about my world just because I've, in, because I've introduced these new things? And watch your limitations. Your limitations can be sources of great conflict that can deal with all of this. Um, all right, well, that's Writing Excuses. We'll be back next week with another one. Thank you guys for listening. This podcast is brought to you by Tor, a leading publisher of science fiction and fantasy. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. 
Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storytellers' stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.